Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you indeed for the beauty of this day, for evidences of changing seasons, for a slight crispness in the air and a leaf here or there changing color, which remind us of your great providence and imagination. And we ask you, O God, to silence now in us any voice but your own, and into that silence speak your truth, and speak your power, and speak your grace, and speak your love. For we pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Our Gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel according to Luke, beginning at the 19th verse of the 16th chapter. Let us hear God's word. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things. And Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this week I returned from an eight-day conference called Credo. Credo is offered by the Presbyterian Board of Pensions, which is both our pension plan and our medical plan. For eight days, and our group met in this beautiful Episcopal retreat center just outside Richmond, Virginia, For eight days, a group of about 25 ministers meets for assessment and reflection. 
the focus is on vocation and how spiritual health and physical and emotional health and financial health all contribute to vocational health and how imbalance or stress in any of those areas can serve as stumbling blocks not only for ministers to serve effectively but at a deeper level to be healthy and whole. It was a great week and I was grateful for the opportunity. Now we joke that what happens at Credo stays at Credo, but I can say that a holistic and integrated approach is the way to go. That a quest for intentionality and mindfulness and balance in each of these areas matters to the big picture a very great deal. Now, I thought about this a lot when I was gone. I'm not one who thinks that being a minister is any harder than any other vocation. Nor is it any more important for that matter. We Presbyterians believe in something called the priesthood of all believers, so that every job, all the jobs we have, every gift, all the gifts we have matter, matter equally and significantly. But what I also believe is that ministry does have its unique privileges and its unique challenges. Just as teaching does, or writing, or doctoring, or installing, or consulting, or concertizing, or lawyering, or accounting, or parenting, or cleaning, or administering. It's a good investment for our Board of Pensions to make in us, in its ministers both from the pension side of things, but especially from the medical side of things. Now, why is it called credo? Credo is a very intentionally chosen word for this enterprise. We get the word creed from the Latin credo, what we believe. A statement of faith is sometimes called a creed. But at a deeper level, credo means something that you give your heart to. A complete, full commitment, not just head, but heart and mind and soul as well. So our vocation, something we give our heart to. Now, as I said, we looked at every aspect of our lives, work and relationships and finances, our spiritual life, because they are all interconnected. And because the Board of Pensions runs this thing, The attention paid to financial health was very, very important, which is not spilling the beans on what happened this last week. Topics for ministers include how do you get out of debt, whether it's college debt or seminary debt. How do you pay for your children's college? How do we think about retirement? This may come as a shock. But not all ministers are financial geniuses. (laughs) And given salary levels for many ministers, given a decrease in full-time jobs in our universe, given debt, college costs, everything that we know about, we learn that financial stress can be very real. Now I have to say, if there are 1,000 good reasons for me to have partnered with the life partner I did, Reason 1001, 
would be that she's a CPA, but it is a benefit, I have to say. But even so, financial stress is real for all of us. And we know it's not the only kind of stress any of us are facing, but it's a real one, and it's a real one not only for ministers. I would imagine that all of us in the room today, either now or at some point in our lives, have asked questions. Questions about debt, whether it's a car or a house, or a child's education, or a grandchild's education. We've asked the questions about how on earth will we pay for college, especially when costs seem to be going like this, for no earthly good reason. Or we have worried about our own retirement, or the financial stability of our parents as they age and face their own health challenges. So it's not just a minister thing. It is a human thing faced by all of us, and because it's a human thing, It's a faith thing. Now we're ramping up to stewardship season, our annual giving effort. This is not a stewardship sermon per se, except that every sermon has something to do with what we do, with what God has given us, how we give our hearts to our vocations, our spiritual life, our relationships, our finances. How we often miss abundance all around us and rather choose to perceive scarcity instead. So it's not a stewardship sermon per se, but it is certainly a conversation in this year of reconciliation about how money functions in our lives and in our faith. And how money serves to represent anything and everything that can get in the way of all of us living freely and fully as God's beloved people. That's been a hard week, in a series of hard weeks in Rochester and Charlotte and Tulsa and Columbus and Seattle. And I think somehow it's all related, don't you? Money as a symbol for many other things that are troubling our world today. Money represents so many things. It represents an opportunity to be generous, yes. And it also represents an opportunity to control, to exercise power. Those who have and those who do not have, and what we do with what we have. The Bible knows that. The Bible talks about money a lot. Susan read from 1 Timothy, which reminds us that we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. I don't generally believe in bumper sticker theology, but that's not a bad thing to put on a bumper sticker. Or those who die with the most still will die, or you can't take it with you, or the best things in life aren't things. The writer of 1 Timothy says important things about what money can do to us. Most famously, that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Maybe we thought Shakespeare said it. It's in the Bible. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's a trap. It can be a temptation. It can lead us to ruin. 
In their eagerness to be rich, we hear, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now we're quick to say, and rightly so, this is not money itself, but what we do with it, the unhealthy pursuit of it, that becomes the faith problem. Unless we missed it, here it is again. As for those who are in the present age rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Take hold of the life that really is life. Okay, so it is a stewardship sermon. Not specifically about what we pledge to the church to support our shared mission ministry, but it is about seeking to be rich in good works, about being generous, about sharing what we have been given about not letting our passion be money but the good and faithful things we can do with our money so Jesus tells a story to make this point it's a reconciliation story or rather it is today a story of a failure to reconcile one's life with the values of faith There are two men. One is very rich and one is very poor. One lives high on the hog and one lives in abject poverty. We can certainly imagine the tableau from 2,000 years ago, but I think we can imagine it right now, today. And they both die, just like that. They both die, and crassly put, but clearly put by Jesus, one goes to heaven. And one does not. So the rich man is in Hades and he is being tormented. And he cries out for a little relief, a little mercy. Just a little drop of cold water to make this all the more tolerable. And Abraham says, no. No. Abraham says, no, you already had your comfort in your earthly life. So now, Abraham says, a great chasm has been established. A seemingly insurmountable gap between where you are now and forever and where you want to be. Now, the rich man seems to accept that. We don't know what his response is when you look at the story again, but he accepts his fate. And then, kind of surprisingly, he musters up just a little bit of compassion. Not for the poor man who he had ignored his whole lifetime, who is now redeemed from his poverty and suffering, but but for the family this rich man is left behind. He tries to strike a bargain. At least, Abraham, can't one of your messengers go back and warn them so that they make different choices with their riches? It seems reasonable. Yet again, the answer is no. No, it seems harsh. 
And we can debate the harshness of that at some other point, but Abraham goes on to say why the answer is no. Abraham says that this vision of generosity and abundance is not new information. Had they been paying attention to the lessons of their faith all along, had you been paying attention, you would have received this message. You would have sought to embody it. You would have sought to make changes in your life True changes. You were presented with opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, including a poor man at your gate, sick and hungry. And you did not change. And your brothers will receive those same opportunities, and they will not change. So no, they don't get a warning. It seems harsh. But remember, it is Jesus telling a parable as a cautionary tale to those who will listen. Now, I'm sure I'm overlaying my week away on some of this, but whether on spiritual retreat or not, we all have every day, each of us, moments, opportunities when we can assess our lives, when we can seek mindfulness and intentionality and balance. This day, the moment is about money, where we ask if and how our possessions are possessing us. And we can ask about the modern-day Lazaruses among us, those without, and how are we living to alleviate their suffering now? Which links the very personal aspect of our finances with a broader conversation about poverty Now, it's a year of reconciliation. And I believe that God's intention is to bridge that great chasm. Whether it's financial or spiritual or physical or mental or emotional, relational, any chasm that prevents you or I from living the life God fully intends us to live. Today, it's money. Today it's abundance and generosity and true value and meeting human need. Tomorrow it may be something else. But every day it's something. Some dynamic that can either be a stumbling block or an opportunity to take hold of the life that really is life. To bridge that gap to make that chasm disappear, to be reconciled. Reconciled with one another, reconciled with our best selves, reconciled with God, who makes all things new. Amen.